Well, hello and welcome to this special radio broadcast. It's been almost 70 years since Mel Thornton and Rosalie Bogner chained themselves to the bar of the Regatta Hotel in the leafy riverside suburb of Brisbane's Tawong to protest the exclusion of serving women in pubs. It was a small but significant protest in the wider fight for women's rights in Australia, and it proved to be a triumphant moment for gender equality. Thanks to the brave work of pioneers like Thornton and Bogner, women can now thrive in the professional world and they have the same rights and autonomy as men in every aspect of civil life. And most importantly, they're free to choose their own destiny. Today, though, there's a new generation of feminists, and they're chaining themselves to our Twitter feed and almost every media outlet in the country as a protest to what they believe is an epidemic of misogyny that's sweeping through this nation like the burning of the Great Library of Alexandria. The streets of the sunburned country are no longer safe for women to walk, and along with backyard cricket, warm summer nights zinc on the nose and sand between the toes, rape is now a part of Australian culture. But the most peculiar aspect of this alleged epidemic is the highly localised environment in which it thrives. For you see, this epidemic is confined inside the petri dish of white male conservatism. Caroline de Russo is one woman who does not want to smash the patriarch and has no problem publicly refuting this social scientific sophistry. She's a commercial litigator, a small business owner, and a regular commentator for The Spectator, Penthouse and Sky News Australia. And she joined me for this special episode of The Modern Conservative. We need to talk about feminism. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, mate. Is Australia in the icy grips of a misogyny epidemic? You would think so. If you if you watch the mainstream media, um, the stocks of white men, particularly um, conservative white men, are way down. They are way down. So what's going on here? I mean, it seems like a small number of people have an extremely loud voice right now. It does seem to be that way. Um, and I think, you know, that there is what feels like definitely a narrative, definitely a narrative that is um, is is really quite anti, anti-bloke at the moment. Um, you know, your your toxic masculinity, your um, you know, white men not letting women through the glass ceiling, that sort of conversation. Um, but it, it really is, in my view, really quite a bubble issue because I think if you if you were to have a chat to the um, the average woman on the street, you know, they've got men in their lives and they, you know, probably really like most of them. And interestingly, that was really the impetus for this, for this episode. It's the number of emails that I've been receiving, um, not just from women who are in my life, but also from, from listeners or at least wives of listeners who essentially are saying that, you know, this notion that Australia uh, is in the, the midst of a, 
of an epidemic of misogyny and that yeah. they think it's... Every bloke's a rapist. Sure, yeah. Look, yeah. they think it's nonsense, but the sentiment that I'm getting is that they're too afraid to come forward because they don't want to get shouted down. They don't want the mob after them. Yeah, and look, and that is really fair. And the thing is, the, um, the feeling at the moment is there is very much a narrative and anyone who strays from the narrative, um, you know, th they get torn down. And for the average woman who is not in politics or isn't in the media or who isn't used to everyday kind of confrontation, they don't want, um, they, they don't want that every day. You know, so they'd rather just not say something than say something and and be hounded. I mean, most people in their their normal everyday don't want to um, don't want to deal with that level of confrontation. You know, for someone like me, I'm a litigation lawyer. I'm I'm in the media, so I'm used to that on a daily basis. It doesn't bother me to say something that um, that doesn't conform with you know the. Uh, the sisterhood handy book, so to speak. Um, so for me, it's 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 no issue. But for the average person, you know, the average family, they want to be able to educate their kids. They um, they want to take a holiday once a year. They want to pay their bills. They just want to get past, get through with the least amount of friction possible. And so when it comes to these sorts of culture issues, um, they they don't want to approach them. They don't want to speak out, even though um, they, as a general rule, and I have people say to me all the time, thank you for saying the things that you do because I can't say that or I don't feel like I can say that. Mm. Um, and that's why we end up with this sort of very lopsided conversation of these very few voices but with a very big platform who who hold this particular view and kind of everyone else kind of rolling their eyes but not really feeling like they're in a position to say something you did say something recently in a fantastic piece you wrote called dear xy maybe you can just talk briefly about the, the context of that piece and some of the feedback you received from it sure so it was international men's day there is one, apparently. It doesn't obviously uh, get celebrated in the same way that International Women's Day does. And all I post, I just put a post on Twitter saying to all the blokes who do the heavy lifting, who kill the spiders, who, you know, fix the leaky, you know, thank you, we, we love you, you know. Mm. And I had this outpouring of appreciation, which I, I just wasn't even remotely expecting, Um totally shocked me how many people how many men just said thank you thank you for saying something nice about us no one ever says anything nice about us they're always trying to critique us for something you know we're always doing something wrong and um and I do mention in the article that at the moment all white men are allowed to do is self-flagellate and pay tax and so I talk about in this article um essentially you know that that there is this relationship between men and women that has been going on for millennia. And yes, it has changed. And particularly in the last 50 years or so, it's changed very, very quickly. But there is still that really beautiful interaction between men and women. And, and we shouldn't totally try totally burn that just because there's a couple of men out there who are doing the wrong thing. Not every man is a potential rapist. Not every man, um, you know, mistreats his wife. Not every man, you know, tries to control the family finances. Most men are really good blokes. There's probably some that are a bit vanilla and average and don't go in the good or the bad. But for most, most people are decent people. Like you would say, most women are decent women. 
And so in this piece, I just kind of talk about the importance of that relationship between men and women, how important it is to appreciate the men in our lives, because they, they do... Um, they do deal with issues, um, things like high rates of suicide, you know, things like, you know, prostate cancer in a sense is kind of the male equivalent of breast cancer. You know, they do have their own issues um, and they should be treated as importantly as any women's issue out there. Um, and apparently this is a really controversial thing to say, which to me sounds completely common sense. And, and I received so much wonderful feedback from it, but it almost felt stupid that I received that sort of feedback because I shouldn't have had to have. Well, I guess when you see the kind of selective practices of media that um, organisations are engaging in right now, look, if you put, if every second story in your paper is about a man that's committed a crime, then of course you're going to create um, the moral scapegoat of the male. And whether it's, just opportunistic journalism, whether it's journalists wanting to get invited to the right parties, I don't know, but there seems to be a fairly concerted effort right now to paint that, that picture in the press, one thing after the other. And of course, editors have a selection of stories that they can choose. And let's be, let's be realistic. Women commit crimes every day too. Of course they do. Of course they do. And when you look at things like um, infanticide, you know, more often than not, it's the mother as opposed to the father. But when that gets um, when that gets reported in the media, it's not reported as violence. It's reported as a mental health issue. Mm. Um, you look at things. Um, you look at something like domestic violence. They, they talk about one woman a week. Actually, the numbers from the last time I checked, the numbers are actually closer to one and a half women a week. The numbers of men are about one a week. So yes, there are more women, but there are still there are still men that are, are victims of family violence. But we, no one ever talks about it because it's not the fashion, you know. So so for some reason that there gets lost, and we always talk about um, the the way that that violence gets reported. It always gets reported differently, whether it's it's male or female. What also isn't the the fashion, as you you, you said, is uh, the jobs that essentially blokes do that are not yep. pretty and that are dangerous, oh. and that that men have been doing for a very long time. Now, when they when they want to talk about the quota debate, it seems to yeah. me that really what they're interested in is securing seats at the pointy end of the plane. They're not going for the construction, the air conditioned jobs, as I call them. But these jobs are not jobs that A, are appreciated or B, are discussed because let's be realistic. This isn't about quotas. It's about power, right? Yeah. No, and I think that's fair. Um, and, look, I have, um, I have no issue with, obviously, women being on boards. I have no issue with, with anyone doing any sort of job, really, as long as you've either got the, the intellectual or the physical capacity for it, depending on, on what the gig is. I have no issue. But this whole, the, the one that gets me is this whole concentration on STEM. Me, personally, I have no inclination towards STEM. And have you ever noticed that it's all these it's all the sisterhood, all these women with gender studies degrees trying to push the rest of us into engineering. I don't want to do engineering. 
if, if women want to go into engineering, there is the opportunity for them to do that. Mm. They, when they go and choose their university degrees, they can, they can pick whatever they want. In this day and age, there is no, um, there is no barrier. And, for example, law, which is the field that I went into, from 1984 at the University of Western Australia, there have been more female entrants than male entrants. So that tells me that the equality of opportunity is there, right? The issue comes later down the track, right? But this, this whole push towards STEM, okay, if women want to go into STEM, there's the opportunity for them to do it, but you can't tell us what to do. What about if women just don't want to go into STEM? Oh, no, we can't have that conversation because women need to be coding. The sisterhood said that women need to be doing X, Y, and Z. Well, maybe they don't want to. Maybe they don't want to. Why, why is it so difficult for people to um, understand that you, you can't tell people what to think? You have to teach them how to think. And if we teach women how to think, then they can choose the opportunity which they want. Well, I think the answer lies in the notion of gender studies and other superfluous sort of degrees that have yeah, no sort of so pragmatic or, yeah, well, no, no um, practical outcome that's going to, really do anything to, towards the flourishing of both the physical world through engineering uh, or the academic world. Th these, these people are grounded in ideology and Correct. for them to receive grant money, they have to prove that that ideology exists, right? Pretty much for our entire, as you said, millennia. I mean, it's, it's primordial. It's intrinsic for, for, for people like you and I, we would probably say it's of divine order is that motherhood is the most distinguished and uh, responsible role that a woman can have, yet... It's a really important job. It's a really important job. And if women want to stay at home and look after their children, we should respect that decision as much as the woman who says, I want to be the CEO of BHP, because it's about making a choice if that is your choice if that is what you want in life knock yourself out sister it's not for me to tell you what you have to do that women's liberation the word liberation means freedom and so that means the freedom to make choices so it, it is a really important job my mum stayed home with me um i just happened to to have a career that in my view there is no difference other than the differentiation of choices. Um, but, but women should be free to do whatever they want and whatever their choice is, if it's, if it's the thing that they want, they are equally valid. And I think that that's the kind of what, what, we, what we achieved in the later part of the last century is that it allowed that choice. So what, what, left, what more is there left that, that these women want? And I think this is the problem when they talk about first, second and, and, and now third wave feminism, you know, that 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 second wave of feminism, um, or the, the, in my view, the tail end of the first and the into the second was to give women those opportunities. I know when my mum first went to work, um, she, she worked at a company and I, I won't mention who it was, but only the men got car parking bays. Because the women were expected within a couple of years they would get married and they would not, so then they wouldn't need a car parking bay, right? Mm. That makes no sense to me. And my mother, being my mother, was like, no, no, 
if a bloke gets a car parking bay, I'm going to get a car, park, car parking bay. I'm, at this stage, she was unmarried. She was single. She's like, no difference. We do the same job. I should get the same thing. And she did. She got her car parking bay because she pushed for it and she got it. Why should she not have it? Simply because she's female. That makes no sense to me. She was the Merle Thornton of reverse parking. Oh, look, my mum, five foot one, tiny, but, you know, just indomitable. Um, And so you look at things like that and you can understand women pushing back. The same, women couldn't get a mortgage. So unless you were married, a woman couldn't get a loan. Like that to me makes zero sense. I understand that battle, so to speak. I understand that pushback and why that happened. But those battles have been won. And so now the modern feminists, it's like in order to maintain relevancy, they're on the search of problems. They're on the search. So, you know, these days, you know, air conditioning is sexist, right? Air conditioning. I remember when I read that article and I thought to myself, that makes absolutely no sense. These days, everything is sexist. All these things which never occurred to anyone with any modicum of common sense are all of a sudden sexist. And all of a sudden, you know, we have to be prepared to die on a hill for it because the sisterhood needs to maintain their relevance. Yeah. And that's what this is actually all about. And what they actually are, they're the, the Don Quixotes of uh, feminism, right? They're tilting at windmills. Everything, everything. Yeah, correct. The, the battles have been won. So now they're creating dragons that don't exist. And yeah. unfortunately, the white male conservative is that is the windmill right now. And, and that's why when you actually look, and there've been quite a few studies on, on, and I think there was one in the UK, this quite a small percentage of women in the UK actually consider themselves feminists Mm. because it has now become so contrived and so overheated in a sense that it makes no sense to anyone. The average woman goes, yeah, no, I don't, I don't identify with that, that there is not a battle that I consider worth fighting. The car parking bay is a battle worth fighting and that getting a loan is the battle worth fighting. And obviously being able to, you know, um, you know, be members of certain professions and what have you, those are battles worth fighting. Mm. The level of the air conditioning is is not one of those battles. No, and I think that people are starting to see um, some of the, uh, you know, the more harmful effects of what this is doing and, and your perspective as a litigator and a commentator on this will be will be valuable because what we're seeing now is the um, phenomenon of these rape allegations and this has really taken uh, its own kind of um, momentum something that we've perhaps never seen before it's pretty out of control this stuff isn't it well well yes and no so there has been and including in workplaces um inappropriate behavior and behaviour that doesn't amount to, to sexual abuse and doesn't amount to sexual harassment, that has happened. Um, it hasn't happened to me per- personally, but it has happened. That there needs to be dealt with. And I would like to think that in, in 2021, it is an ever-diminishing issue. It's an, less of an issue than it was 10 years ago and much less of an issue than, say, it was 20 or, or 30 years ago. But I'm sure it does still happen. Mm. And I'm, I'm also quite sure that it is an incredibly small percentage of men. 
I, don't, I think if you have 20 incidents, it's not 20 men. It's one or two blokes that don't know how to behave themselves. The other 18 or 19 men are doing what they need to be doing. So I think, um, I don't think it is as big an issue. I think it exists. It most definitely exists. But what there needs to be is an understanding about what is appropriate and what isn't appropriate. And there needs to be a line drawn so that, so that people know what that is. What it feels like in the last couple of years, the goalposts keep moving. And so men don't actually know what they are and are, aren't allowed to do. And I know plenty of men who will not go into a meeting alone with a female that they they don't know well. It's just no, not worth the risk. Not worth for the them. risk. Not worth the risk, you know. And, and I've worked on matters where I had to travel to the I'm in Perth, I had to travel to the East Coast with um, the partner in the law firm which I worked. And I think to myself, well, what if that happened in the context of today? Would I have been left at the office? instead of being able to, to, to go to the High Court, to, to, to instruct in the High Court, would I have been left at the office because it was just too much of a risk to take, you know, the girl on tour sort of thing? Yeah. So, so what I do worry is that if, if there isn't real clarity around this and that, that there is, um, is cemented and it's clear, you were going to see that the, the blokes who want to misbehave are still going to misbehave because they just are. But you're going to see the good men who, who want to give women opportunities to and progress their careers and all that sort of thing. I'm worried that we're going to start to see them self-select out because anything that they do which is a positive step may be seen in six months or 12 months or et cetera, et cetera, to be inappropriate behaviour once that goalpost has, has moved somewhere else. So that there is actually my real concern that if if we um, become too contrived about all of this, then it's actually going to have the opposite effect for women. And and I'm not saying that you know um, that that there is actually a level of inappropriate behaviour in in trying to promote a woman's career or anything like that. That can all happen on merit, believe it or not. I know that might come as a shock to some people, but but women can progress on merit alone. There's not casting couches all over the city helping progress women in their careers. But my concern is that men um, are going to be worried about the way they interact with women. And so we'll dial back where they may have otherwise taken a positive step to, to help. Let me just, yeah, let me just zone in on uh, the, the rape allegation statement and, and what I was mm-hmm. getting at more so I, I take on board everything you just said and I, I, I agree with I agree with most of it um, I think that unfortunately in relationships in human relationships there is there are gray areas there are, there's ambiguity um, mm-hmm. there's uh, attraction there's people that think there's attraction when there isn't things get messy you're always going to have this with women and men working together mm-hmm. but I think you're right but what we're seeing now, more so what I was talking about, is uh, the allegations being made against a man, very serious allegations, like in the case of, of Brittany Higgins. Now, we have no reason to believe that what she's saying is not true. However, right. however, okay. uh, there's currently a police investigation that's, that's ongoing, right? Yeah. Uh, in this time, Brittany Higgins has 
launched a national march for women's equality. She's, uh, some might say, destabilised the Liberal Party and she signed a quarter of a million dollar book deal off the back of an allegation. Mm. I don't blame her. I blame the press that's pushing this behind her. This is an allegation. What's happened to due process in this country? It is an allegation. Um, There is a police investigation underway. My understanding is that no one has been charged yet. She did say at one point, I believe, that she wanted privacy. So I wonder how... I'm kind of concerned about how some of these positive steps are actually really, really public, um, that that if she does want privacy, that, that perhaps they're not a great idea. Obviously, it's up to her to do whatever she wants, but there still needs to be a court process. And until someone is charged and until there is a trial, they remain rape allegations. Mm. And I totally agree with you. I have no reason to believe that what she says isn't true, but it hasn't been tested in court yet. And so there there just seems to be so much momentum behind this. And and what I'm worried about, what if, for example, and I obviously don't know this, but just just to put it out there, what if no one gets charged, right? Or what if the charges are dropped? Or what if this person is found to be not guilty? then what? And what that, the part that it concerns me is that there are normal everyday women who um, something like this could happen to them. I, and they may not want things to be so public. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm concerned that when something gains this sort of momentum and this sort of publicity, I, I worry that that might cause women to not go to the police. You know, because if, the, if, if it's a person with some profile or like in this case, it's Parliament House that has its own profile, whether women go, I actually, I'm really concerned about that level of public attention. I'm not going to make that complaint lest the media find out about it. And that's what we don't want to happen. Equally, it may be that because this is public that people go, oh, well, if she can do it, I can do it. Mm. I really hope that that's more so the case that it, that it draws women out who, who, have, um, who have suffered an assault, that that does draw them out to go to the police. But I am worried about the, the level of momentum that is behind all of this when the police um, inquiries in such early stages. Mm. It also puts a lot of pressure on the police. Oh, yeah. You know, just this huge level of public scrutiny. You know, they've got a job to do. They've got a really important job to do. They're an independent arm um, of the law. And, you know, we've seen other instances where there has been public pressure to, to, to charge someone on whatever. Someone has been charged, someone has been found guilty, and then, you know, it's gone back to court and, you know, people have been wrongfully convicted and all this. And, it, and it's not good. It is not good for due process um, for people to feel like they have to make decisions because that's what the public want. And, and the police have got a really important job to do. And it's almost like just let them do the work that they have to do um, because we don't, I, I don't, I don't want public pressure to feel like that that might influence um you know, the decision the police make, because that's not the way the law's meant to operate. 
I suspect that what will happen is the same thing that happened with essentially uh, every allegation that was laid and dismissed through the Trump administration. And one example I'll use um, as probably the most um, relevant to this is, is Brett Kavanaugh. This is a man mm. who was mm. accused of gang raping um, Dr. Christine Blasey Ford. Mm. Um, his life was destroyed at the time, dragged through the press, yeah. family. He was cleared of that. Yet to this day, in the eyes of Democrats and left-wing opposition, he's still a mm. rapist. These things stick. They do. They do stick. And and I suppose that incident um, is probably say something that sits a little more alike to the allegations made against Christian Porter. Sure. Because they're things that are said to have happened a very long time ago. Um, obviously, with the passing of time, you know, people's memories fade and 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 that sort of thing. You know, it's it's very hard to prove old um, old allegations, and that's why say something like j- just by way of comparison. So in civil law, um, you only have to have a balance of probabilities as your threshold to prove. Um, of, as your burden of proof, but there's a limitation of action for most civil matters of about six years, because there's that recognition that after time, memories fade, evidence is lost, all those sorts of things. So where you've got that lower threshold, you have to have that other kind of um, ameliorating factor, which mm-hmm. essentially goes, okay, we can have a lower threshold, but you know we're going to limit the time in which you can bring that action because it, it's harder to get the evidence together. In something like criminal law, there, there isn't a limitation of action. There's no limitation. You know, you can be charged with a crime that happened 50, 60, 70 years ago, but the threshold of proof is a lot higher. So you have to, um, you have to be able to satisfy, obviously, beyond reasonable doubt to get there. Mm. And that there is why when it comes to these old sorts of allegations, one, they're very hard to prove. They have to be dealt with in a, in a very particular way. Evidence has to be um, gathered very particularly because, um, well, one, they're, they're obviously very serious allegations. And two, if you start just banting around this sort of stuff, like what's happened so far with Christian Porter and like what happened with Brett Kavanaugh, mm. those sort of allegations do stick. And unless there is the real evidence there to be able to back them up, You've just got to be really careful. I'm not saying that those allegations shouldn't be made where there is a genuine concern. Of course they should be. But it all needs to be dealt with, you know, within the confines of the due process of the law so that we don't have these sorts of circumstances. Yeah, but the the journalists right now are just making a complete mockery of this, right? I mean, there's there's no accountability. There's no accountability. I don't know. I mean. Someone showed me a piece today, and I'd never heard of this. It's called Women's Agenda. I'm not sure if you've heard of that publication. No. It's, it's not my morning reading. Sorry, mate. I would say it's one publication that's um, manifesto is uh, primarily driven towards smashing the patriarchy. But this, this, uh, this journalist was talking about a very important issue called empathy. I'll quote. It seems Australia's 
Hympathy Reckoning has also taken a bit of time to gather pace, but it's now in full swing. What do I mean? Well, in her 2017 book, Down Girl, The Logic of Misogyny, Cornell philosophy professor Kate Mann coined the term hympathy, like mansplaining and manspreading before it, other new words that entered the feminist lexicon and gave women a word for something they had long experienced but struggled to articulate. Hympathy was quickly embraced. A year after coining the term and following Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh's tearful, fiery and unrepentant appearance at his confirmation hearing, at which he refuted the credible historical sexual assault allegations from Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, Manet asked if the United States was in a midst of a hympathy reckoning. Do you need a drink? <laughs> so this is, this is going on. I don't, I, you know, I mean, that is just total bullshit. Of course it is. And, and, and the problem is, is that when you look at something like the law, we need to be dispassionate. We need to be rational, we need to be objective, and we need to be dispassionate. And, you know, justice is blind and all those sorts of things. And I do appreciate in the, in the instance of things like historical sexual abuse, you know, they are very difficult um, to deal with. There's a lot of um, emotion and trauma and that sort of thing involved. No argument from me, but but we don't um, we don't judge people through the eyes of the law via feelings. Beginning, middle, and end of story. This isn't about feelings. This is about dispassion. Because if you can't be dispassionate, then justice can't be blind, and it's that simple. But when we're talking about left wing politics in this country. It's firmly grounded in in um, emotion and zero reason, and that's what creates the sensationalist news stories that we see right now. I can't get over this sympathy thing. I hadn't even heard I'm, about I'm it. Man, I hear some, about I'm, most things. I am just oh, blown well, away. Well, I'll, I'll continue. Not only, <laughs> not only are we being prompted to listen to and believe all women. We're also being challenged to view men's appeals for empathy through a new framework, to recognise when it's at play and guard against its pernicious influence. And we as a society seem to be rising to that challenge. I mean, that's just, that is just vacuous and it is actually really divisive. He's actually really divisive and no one, no one is helped um, by trying to, by trying to create, again, it's, it's, it's trying to create an issue which doesn't exist. This, Absolutely. This is, this is just fluff, which means nothing to it. If you went into the street and asked the everyday person, they would roll your eyes. But I think this is what it comes down to, right, is that, um, journalism is no longer journalism, and and I, I was at the for oh not at the forefront, but I think when when I began to write for publications in two thousand and eight, as I've told you before, I was writing for a publication called The Vine, which was a Fair, Fairfax publication online. It was their eighteen to thirty five 
sort of alternative to the age and um and it was massively successful and what made it successful was through things like top 10 lists right they, they were the pioneers of the top 10 top 10 reasons to well, top 10 skincare products you need yeah. um, top 10 ways that you can lose the extra bulge <laughs> all right so all this stuff and then we start seeing um an appetite for that sort of stuff because people generally are consuming like what, what we would get told through analytics is that people consume news during a particular period of the day generally during lunch during coffee breaks uh, on the way to work so news started to get uh, molded to fit that need you know mm. and then we stood it started seeing the 24-hour news cycle right and now it's every single second they have to come up yeah, with something and they've run out of news they're manufacturing scandals. Some are real. Some are clearly not. This there was is- something in the ABC the other day on online in the ABC about some people not feeling safe enough to express their pronouns. And I thought to myself, look, if that there is um, the biggest issue that you face on any given day, then you're living the dream. Buddy, uh, if you're having a ripper. Oh. You are having a great run. If if worrying about which pronoun you're being able to, to tell someone what your pronouns are, yeah. if that there is your biggest concern on any given day, you have won the lottery of life. So why do they have so much power? What why why do these people have so much power? What why can they say, if you don't call me by my preferred pronoun, I can go and get you in trouble? What, what do you think it is? Well, I think it's I think it's the way that the narrative has been um, that the narrative has been crafted, and in a way, it's, it's really it's genius because it's been done in such a way that if you don't agree with it, they make you look like a bad person. Mm. So it's there's no longer um, two people can have opposing views, and those views are equally valid. It is now, well, this is my view and I'm a good person. And if you don't agree with me, that makes you a bad person. So say in the US, they're talking about all this anti-racism theory. Mm. Anti-racism. This is this this critical, critical race theory. So if you disagree with anti-racism, that makes you a racist. That is how um, dogmatic and how binary the political discussion has become. So that they couch everything in a way that makes it sound all like fluffy and unicorns. So if you don't agree with it, then that just makes you look like a terrible person. The average person doesn't want to look like a terrible person. So they self-select out or they don't disagree. Even when they have an objection, they just kind of, they let it go because they don't want to look like a racist, a sexist, uh, blah, 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 et cetera. So um, the entire narrative of, of the compassionate side of politics has been exquisitely crafted so that it's almost impossible for people to disagree with it. Wait a second. Are you telling me that you don't want to save the planet? Yeah, well, that's it. That's it. If you if if it's save the planet incorporated and you don't agree with everything save the planet incorporated means wants, then you want to burn the planet. 
So just before we go, I want to talk about the online world quickly. Um, yeah. I quite enjoy your Twitter feed. Uh, it's something that unfortunately I'm reluctantly new to. I, I never wanted to join up. How do you find the feedback and the, the criticism and, and, the, and the balance between those two things? Well, the most important thing uh, to remember about Twitter is that it's not the real world. Remind myself of that every day. I find Twitter in many ways, for me, is very functional. Um, when I publish, I, I share what I write through Twitter um, and uh, that's where I, I follow all my news. So I follow, and the thing that, that a lot of people um, don't may not necessarily do, but I, I follow news outlets and I read news outlets every day from The Guardian to Breitbart. And everything in between. I read the Sydney Morning Herald. I read The Age. I read The Telly. I read The Australian. I, I, read, across, um, I read across the spectrum because I'm pretty sure that the truth is somewhere in the middle. Depending on the story, it could be a little bit. Well, but the truth is somewhere. And it's never just the way that, in my view, one thing is reported never really gives the full perspective. So I like to read across every day and Twitter gives me that ability. The other thing I like about Twitter is that um, it, it lets you distill ideas down into a very concise um, argument or proposition or what have you. And I do like the discourse backwards and forwards. You, I've, I've met a lot of very interesting people on Twitter um, and there's but people who have got very interesting backgrounds um, professional backgrounds, business backgrounds, you know, so you do get to learn a lot every day. There are also obviously the trolls, right, which they're very well known. And they, um, I have to, I remind myself that for the most part, these people don't matter, right? So if they say something nasty to me, I think to myself, do I know this person? Do I value their opinion? No, okay, and I just let it wash over me. Um, I'm, I'm pretty thick-skinned anyway um, as a general rule, but I always think to myself, if it was someone who I really cared about who said something like that to me, I would be devastated. Mm. But if it's, you know, if it's some cartoon avatar with five followers, you know, and I've had just the most horrific things, and particularly when you are... Um, you're a contributor to somewhere like Skype's and News Corp, Murdoch-related outlet. Everyone just thinks you're, you're, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've been called a Murdoch call. Whoever knows. But you learn to let that just wash over you because ultimately it doesn't really matter. And that comment is more a reflection on them than it is on me. Um, so I don't let it get to me. Um, most of the time I let it slide. And occasionally when... I think something needs to be said, I will, I will have a crack back. And I don't like to do that too often. Um, but sometimes people do overstep the mark. And particularly when it's people who should know better, then, then I will have a crack back. But as a general rule, I just, I just let it wash over me and, and try not to think about it too much. You don't lose sleep over the comments of sicko Joel 84? No, and I'm mute. You know what I love about the mute button? See, if you if you block someone, they know that they're blocked. If you they take mute it as them, a win. they don't know that they're muted. So you just let them yell into the wind. I don't have enough um, 
followers yet to warrant any sort of. Um... You haven't made it. What you mean is you haven't made enough enemies, mate. Oh, I've done that. So, <laughs> so the, I love the mute button. So I just mute people. I just let them yell into the wind. Knock yourself out. Say whatever you like. It doesn't come up in my notifications. I can't see. Just go for it. Have fun. Mm. Um, and I find that really quite therapeutic. But yeah, I just there's no point letting it get to you. Yeah, I mean, the other thing, and I've said this to people as well, and, you know, I mean, even from other platforms that I've written on and stuff, I've received it. But, like, at the end of the day, if anything, I kind of, and in, in a, in a non-sort uh, of condescending fashion, I do genu- genuinely feel quite, quite sorry for these people. Um, yeah. It oh, doesn't yeah. affect me. I've got enough mates. I mean, I've had the same mates I've had since I was two. You know, I've, mm. I've got I've got a family. I've got good friends. I don't care. No. But these people are not. They're very they're deeply unhappy people. You'd have to be. You would have to be even just to even just to think to say something like that to another human being. Like you wouldn't say that to a person's face. Of course not. So why would you say it? Why would you say it? Um, why, why, why would you say it online? I used to say to my juniors all the time, don't send an email that you're not happy to see you next to an affidavit. It's the same thing. Don't yeah. If you're not prepared to say something to someone's face, don't say it. Um, don't say it online. And I, and I am, I'm, I'm cheeky in person. So, I mean, I say a lot of like off the wall kind of stuff, but I'd probably say that to be perfectly honest in person. I can believe that. Caroline DeRusso, thanks so much for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me, mate. It was a great yarn. Keep up the good writing. I will, promise. And, and the tweets. Oh, yeah, they're not going to stop any time soon. This broadcast is brought to you by Search Tempo. If you want your business to get found on Google, visit searchtempo.com. That's S-E-A-R-C-H-T-E-M-P-O.com. Unlike many SEO agencies, Search Tempo uses Australian university-trained English-speaking experts to help you generate more business from Google. Search Tempo has helped businesses like yours since 2007. Packages start from just $295 a month. So visit searchtempo.com. That's S-E-A-R-C-H-T-E-M-P-O.com and see your business at the top of the Google search engine today.